Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in, checking out season two of the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode 16. I'm your host, Wes, and today we're going to talk about banding in Europe. So, in 1998, which was the summer before I moved with my buddy Phil, we had him on a couple episodes in season one. Uh, I was drumming this band called Earthmover, and Earthmover was a hardcore band from Detroit. And you know, we had a few records out. We'd done a handful of like small tours, a bunch of weekend shows, and done done okay, super fun. And um, we had actually just released a new record a few months earlier, and we were about to head to Europe for the first time to do our first European tour. Uh, I can't tell you how stoked I was for this. Like going to Europe, I'm gonna travel, I'm gonna play drums. Like it's awesome. It's just like you know, I was 19 years old and I was just super super pumped. So we had this record out. And a label in Europe that we were working with was actually doing all the pressing of the vinyl. It's pretty common that in hardcore and punk and metal, we will generally have a label that we work with in the States, and then we'll have another label in Europe. And usually the States label will handle like CDs and distribution and cassettes and promotion, all that stuff. And then you'll have a label in Europe that usually does like vinyl and then helps with like Euro tours and stuff like that, as well as doing like you know, European merch designs and um, all kind of cool stuff. So it was pretty cool because a lot of times you would be on tour and traveling and you'd see records that had made it back from Europe that were pressed over there that you'd never seen before. Like you'd find it in like distros and it would be strange because sometimes it would be like your own stuff that you recorded on that you'd never seen before. Something about it just like looks cool. Like it's just different. It's like a bigger medium. Uh, or bigger canvas rather it's in it's a different medium and everything just looks a little bit different but something about just seeing the artwork in that medium is just really kind of cool and you're like oh like this is it's like a it's like seeing the record all over again so the european label that we were working with was called gennett records and they were actually based out of belgium and they were pressing all our vinyl for the new record the label had this big hand in a festival that was happening over in belgium called the Eperfest. this festival was really cool because People would come from all over Europe to to just check it out, and it, it was like a three-day thing, and usually would have a few American bands and then a bunch of other Euro bands from places like Italy and Holland and the UK, all over the place. It was awesome. And this was the first time that Earthmover had been over to Europe, so I think people were pretty excited to see us, and we just come out with this new record. We had another record that had been out there for a while, and people kind of knew those songs, and so... Generally, people are pretty stoked on most American bands that go over there, especially like in the hardcore and in metal. Like, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty popular to have American bands. If you get to travel to see these bands, like it's pretty sweet. So the label put us on this fest, and we worked with a few other companies and promoters and bands to basically book a tour around the fest. So one big festival and a handful of like supporting shows. This tour had lots of crazy adventures from the beginning, and it's just it was riddled with with craziness and, and all kinds of new fun firsts different things um just total adventure we actually started out the tour by driving our van from detroit to orlando so we could catch our flight at the time there was an airline called citybird that flew from like five destinations out of the united states and went to brussels international airport in belgium and it only flew on Wednesdays, like to that destination. It's real, real weird, very, very bizarre um, schedule, I guess, the way that it kind of worked. And they're no longer in business, and maybe that's the reason why. But the tickets at the time were pretty cheap. It's like 330 bucks ish round trip. And uh, I think you can find deals like that now, but of course, 
back then there was no like price line, travelocity, anything like that. And I think we actually picked this airline because they had less uh, restrictions on luggage. So we could bring things like guitars or drums and without paying like crazy amounts of fees that you would normally do um, with most other airlines, especially today. But back then you can get away with it, I think a little easier than you can now. So, so we drove our van like 24 hours to Orlando and we left our van in Orlando with some friends. We had a friend uh, who was in the band called Drag Body from, from Orlando and they live there. So we left our van with them at their apartment complex and we headed, to, headed off to Europe. So it was like an eight hour flight and the flight was pretty uneventful for the most part. Like I remember we got there and we had a driver waiting for us uh, at the airport, which was pretty cool. We loaded all our stuff up in the van and literally drove to the headquarters of the record label Gennett that we were working with at the time. So I think from here, it just gets a little more bizarre. Um, and as I'm kind of thinking through these details, it's, it's pretty funny. The things that kind of pop into my head as I'm just trying to figure it out, just trying to remember everything. And it's, it's, it's crazy. So there's a lot of stuff. And so the guy that owned the label was a dude named Bruno in just a crazy Flemish dude. Um, super into to metal and hardcore. And he and his wife owned a record store in Ghent, Belgium called Pyrrhus. And they actually had the apartment above the store as well, which is really cool. So they worked in the downstairs in the store level, which is like in the downtown city center kind of area. And upstairs, they had the apartment. So once we landed there, we were shacked up in the, in the apartment for a few days. And, you know, during the day, we would go out and explore the city or just kind of hang around in the record store and and look at stuff and or hang out like on the stoop in front of the record store and just look like weirdo Americans that completely didn't fit in. And uh, fun fact, this was actually the first place where I had ever seen um, waffles in a vending machine. And you could buy them right on the street, just like you'd buy Coke. You could buy waffles, which was pretty cool. This record store was really cool, though. It's like this is the prime, you know, 1998 prime record store time. Uh, you know, there's so much cool stuff in there. Lots of crazy vinyl and like posters of bands that we had known from the States that were over there and in, in big tour posters. And in Europe, they do everything a little bit different, especially like tour posters. They make like the biggest tour posters you can imagine. And they plaster them everywhere all over the city. And I mean, if you just Google like, you know, band poster Europe, you'll see all kinds of crazy. I'll try to throw a couple images up on the blog site. To, so you can, guys can see them. They're, they're pretty cool, though. As far as record stores go, like this was the place to be. There was all kinds of people in and out of there. It was like, in a good location. Everyone knew like, like where to go to get all the good stuff. And everyone knew Bruno. Everyone knew his wife. Everyone knew the people that would go in there. Like You'd run into people. Like It was really social, which I thought was, was pretty cool. And even being in it then, I didn't really think about it the way I do now. But it's pretty sweet to see like a bunch of people that kind of communally come to the same place. I guess record stores are still like that. I guess there's just less of them out there, which, uh, which kind of sucks. So um, our guitar player, Andy from Earthmover, ran a distro and a record label called Plus Minus Records. And that label, Plus Minus, had put out the first Earthmover CD and they put out the second Earthmover record as well. So uh, real quick, in punk and hardcore, we use this term called distro, which are basically like small record stores without actually having a store. So it'd be like a dude with a bunch of records in his van that comes to like a show and sets up and you would flip through the records and you'd buy them. So this was a really cool way for kind of other bands to get their CDs out there. And so when Earthmover released, like when we'd release a record, say like 10% of them would be traded to distro. And in return, 
Andy would get records from other bands, from like Bruno's bands, from like Europe and all over the place. This was back before like everyone's music was online. So it was an awesome way to really get exposed to new bands and, you know, even just see different mediums of bands. So like sometimes he would get vinyl. So he would trade like, you know, 10 CDs to Bruno. Bruno would send like 10 CDs to Andy. And then this is how we actually got exposed to a bunch of cool Euro metal bands like Liar and Congress, Face Down, Archangel, like all these bands that we would have never heard of before until um, Andy actually brought them into the distro, which was really cool. It was really cool to be able to flip through those bins of CDs. Sometimes you'd get dudes that would have like five, 10, 15, 20 bins of CDs and tapes and they would trade, you know, five of this for five of that. And it was like a big swap meet. But at the end of the day, it was all about being able to get other music out there that you haven't um, heard before or for, you know, for your band to get exposure to a bunch of people that normally wouldn't get to hear you or see you, you know, unless they happen to come to your town or you played in their town. So one of the first dudes that we met in Belgium was a guy named Hans, and he actually worked at the record store. He worked at Pyrrhus, and he was a singer of this cool Belgian hardcore metal band called Liar, and they were pretty rad. And Hans worked at the store, he's this awesome dude. So most of the younger people that we came across in Belgium spoke some sort of English. Uh, the older people usually just spoke Flemish, which is people, a lot of people don't know Flemish, I guess. It's Flemish is a this weird Dutch-French-German hybrid language. And uh, I think it's really only spoken in maybe Western Belgium. Um, I actually can't believe how many people I met in Europe that learned to speak English by listening and singing along to like Iron Maiden records. That <laughs> It sounds crazy, but probably, you know, a dozen or more times I'd ask people like, oh, like, where did you learn English? In most European schools, they have to take a mandatory five years of English, which is cool because it helps us when we go over there, which is nice. But um, a lot of them, so many of them are like, oh, they watched MTV or they listened to this band or that band. And, and Iron Maiden was wildly popular as far as being able to learn lyrics and learn English from listening to those records. So Iron Maiden probably doesn't know that they're actually contributing to the literacy of English all over the world from just creating amazing songs. So the record store had lots of regulars that would kind of come in and hang out. So we got to meet a handful of like friends of Bruno and friends of Hans kind of right away. They heard we were coming in. So people would come over and want to just, you know, say hi and talk to us and whatever. And uh, I remember being in this apartment and, you know, we hung out in there on and off. So we're on the street, we're inside the apartment, we're down in the record store. Like you can only look at records for so long until you're like, okay, you know, this record store is probably, I don't know, 800 square feet maybe. And so you can only jam so many records in there and you can only look through them so many times before you're sitting on the floor, you know, reading a magazine or something. So I remember being upstairs in this apartment and watching some weird like Flemish TV and Andy comes upstairs and he's like, hey, there's a guy downstairs who's looking for you. And like my first thought is, okay, like he's screwing around. I'm gonna get down there. There's gonna be some like homeless dude hanging out, you know, drinking beer, shirtless, you know, pants hanging off his butt, trying to like, you know, do something. And, and so I come downstairs and my friend Jay Parkin, who was from Flint, Michigan, is standing in the middle of the store with his arms out, like waiting for a big hug. Like, what's up? It, my mind was completely blown. He was like, what's up? Like, <laughs> like, like, I'm like, what do you mean? What's up? Like, what? What are you doing here? And I actually saw him the other day and we, we kind of relived the story. I was in Nashville recently for Nam, and he works for Taylor Guitars and we were there just kind of hanging out and kind of reminiscing and 
telling a story in a big group of people and it was it's awesome it's it's crazy that that happened and it's even awesomer to look back even awesomer is that a word it's even more awesome to look back on it and just think about how cool it was because it was literally so cool so i'm like you know i asked him like what are you doing here like why are you in belgium you know last time i saw him he was in flint not too long before i left and he's like oh um i guess his girlfriend at the time was like living somewhere in belgium and somewhere around there and he was there visiting her and apparently they were looking for this record store that had all the cool hardcore metal records and he pulled up behind our van or um we had like these earth mover stickers on the on the sprinter van so he walked in the store and he saw andy and andy looked kind of american so he'd asked he, jay didn't know any of the earth mover guys but cause he's from flint but he, it, it was crazy like it's just just things just happened and, and just kind of aligned. So uh, the world definitely got a little smaller that day. That's definitely for sure. So we got into Belgium on Wednesday and the fest didn't start until Friday. So we usually had two days of hanging around in Ghent, Belgium, just kind of kicking it around the city and hanging out in the apartment, records or whatever. And so Friday finally comes and we head to the fest and we're super excited because we're finally going to go somewhere, right? We've been kind of cooped up in this this little small confined space for a little bit of time and now it's time to get out and see more of Europe. So we cruise over the fest. I was like a couple hours from where we were staying and we get there and it's total chaos. Uh, there are tents everywhere and buses and sprinter vans and trailers. It was totally crazy, but like it was a good kind of crazy, like lots of stuff going on. That's what you want when you roll into a show or a fest. You want to see movement. You want to see people doing things and, and things happening. That means that you know, potentially there will be people there. You're going to get to play in front of some people. So yeah, that's what you want. You want to see movement. So I remember freaking out a little because uh, when I first got there, they had these weird outdoor urinal things for dudes that were designed for you just to kind of walk up and pee in them. But they're like out in the open and they're actually designed for four people. So like four people can be peeing at the same time. And you have this weird like wall in front of you. Some of them are shorter. So you're like staring at another dude. Uh, I mean, when you got to go, you got to go. Right. But that's, it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. It's like a, like a porta john, but, um, different. <laughs> I'll actually throw a photo of one up on the hustle, the blog site. So you guys can check it out. Uh, anyway, enough with the urinal. So, uh, we got to the fest early in the day. We didn't play until like 10 o'clock on Saturday. So we just hung around the fest all day, looked at more records, watched a few bands, ate some food, watched some more bands. Like it was just the whole day of just kind of talking to people. And we, as Americans, walk around the fest. We stick out like a sore thumb, like everyone is looking at you. And you could be dressed in the same clothing, wearing the same hat, the same sneakers, whatever it is, which we weren't doing any of those things. But if we were, something about it, like something about Americans, we still just stuck out all the time. And people would look over and you see them looking at you and they're like, oh, not because they didn't recognize you, but because, hey, this guy looks different. And he must be in one of the American bands. It was, re- it was real weird. So Friday night, there was actually another American band that was there and headlining the Friday night show and this band called Culture. And they're from Florida. And we actually known them from before. And we've, we've played shows with them, kind of different parts in the States. I think we played with them in Chicago once, maybe in Detroit a couple times. Um, we kind of know them, but actually they rolled up with some different people that we didn't know. So um, one or two of the dudes we knew from before, but um, there was a handful of them that were with them that we did not know. So it was actually kind of common in Europe where sometimes people just can't go 
either they can't get off their jobs or, you know, they have kids or it's, it's, you know, it's too expensive, whatever it is, whatever the reason they can't travel, they don't have a passport, whatever. Um, it's pretty common. So a lot of times people would just put together a handful of people that could play the songs and they would go over and do Europe tours. Like we've seen this over and over and over again. So, um, come to think about it, they were actually on the same flight as us going over. I think I said earlier, the flight was not very interesting, but I do remember us kind of like congregating around each other's seats. So I remember the pilot actually had to turn on the fasten seatbelt sign and we had to stay in our seats for most of the flight because we were up just kind of back and forth between uh, where they were sitting and where we were sitting. So culture had been to Europe before and they were actually huge in Europe and they were on a label over there called Good Life and they were had done well uh, kind of in the past. So they were going to headline the Friday night show and I remember watching them play. I remember standing on the side stage kind of behind amps and it was absolute pandemonium. Like it was just, it was bananas. Um, you know, there's like probably 2000 people going nuts in this place and probably a thousand of them had cameras and there were so many flashes happening. Like while I was standing on the stage, I mean, I felt like I was watching Rocky four when that like press conference with Ivan Drago, like it was just completely awesome. So many, just so many just people just going absolutely nuts. I'll definitely post some photos that I was able to pull from some old websites that show like the fest itself. And I don't think it shows culture per se, but um, there might be one or two photos of them on there. So anyway, so Friday night comes to a halt. It's over. I uh, honestly don't remember where we stayed that night. I think there was a place for bands to, to, to stay like a little crash spot. Um, I don't even remember what it looks like or what it was. So um, anyway, so Saturday came around and we spent another day hanging at the fest. We didn't play until like 10 o'clock Saturday night. So you know, we got up at like nine. So we spent a whole day just hanging out all day Saturday. So finally, 10 p.m. Saturday night comes. We're going on as a headliner. And it was crazy. Like I remember trying to carry gear out through these like massive crowds of people. And this place we were playing was actually called the Vortenvis, which in Flemish translates to the rotten fish. And it was actually an old fish market. So it smelled not the best. And when uh, the heat got up, it smelled worse. And then when you have 2,000 people in there, like moshing it up, it smelled like straight up death. Just awful. So we get on stage and we just let it rip. We're talking like 24 hours in a van, nine hours in a plane, 48 hours of sitting around a record store, two days of waiting at the fest to play. And we just crushed it. And people were just flying all over the place. And it was like pandemonium. People were hanging from the rafters. It was just cool. It was just a fun, fun way to kind of let it loose and, and just, just start a great, a great tour and a great experience. So there are probably some photos of that somewhere. I'll see if I can pull some of those. So once the glory was over, then we started the real tour where just like in the States, a Monday show is just okay, you know, compared to a generally a Friday or Saturday. So we started the tour in Belgium and then went off to places like Germany and Holland and Hungary and Austria, Switzerland, Italy. And most of the shows were just okay at best, but it was fun. Like we kept jumping around from country to country, losing money because there was no euro at the time. So every time we exchanged money at the bank, they were charged us a percentage, which was awesome because we kept losing money everywhere we went. But there was so much to see and so much to do. And we were traveling in this full size Mercedes Sprinter van with like a big sleeping loft in the back. And it was pretty cool. It was pretty, pretty comfy. I mean, there was six of us that went plus our driver. So, you know, aside from the back doors 
flying open once and spilling like 500 CDs all over the Autobahn. I think it was pretty cool. Pretty, pretty solid ride. So we had a few shows set up uh, in Italy on this tour. And just before the shows, we had like two days off. So we were trying to fill in gaps where we could, playing wherever we could. But, you know, sometimes you just, you just have those days off and it's like a Tuesday or a Wednesday and you're like, well, there's no shows happening and nothing on your route. So you just kind of have to hang out wherever you hang out. So we actually met up with the guy that was putting on the shows in Italy and his name was Marco. And he asked us, you know, what are you guys going to do? And we didn't really have a plan. So he's like, you want to go to the beach? And so we're like, yeah, of course. Like we're in Italy in the middle of summer and it was super hot. So, you know, this guy took us to the beach and we were all super stoked, right? We all ran out of the van, jumped right in the Adriatic Sea. Like it was amazing. We were just like, you know, immediately turned into little kids. We were splashing each other and pushing each other in the water and just being, you know, 10 year olds again. So uh, the beach was cool. It was like this white sand beach and, um, you know, had this cool on the sand restaurant with all these chairs and the big umbrellas. And it was cool, man. It was like this little, this little restaurant. sold like burgers and fries and, and had like ice creams and sandwiches and all kinds of stuff. And so it was pretty sweet. So, so we're all swimming for probably like, I don't know, a couple hours, just kind of kicking it in the, in the water and the sand and whatever. And, uh, we come out of the water and, uh, our van's there and, and Marco's car is not, <laughs> he's just gone. So, you know, we followed him out there and he's like bounced on us and we're all sitting around kind of waiting for him to come back. And, um, we're just sitting there like on these, on these chairs with umbrellas. And we hear this girl yell out, she's like, Americans food. And we're just like, we walked up to this restaurant which was like this kind of casual, you know, the doors all open up and like the sand's right there and it's, it's tile. It's not like, you know, all ritzy. It's just like a normal, I don't know, almost like a snack bar, but maybe a little bit better because it's bigger and it's on the sand. I don't know. It's pretty cool. And so we walk up there and there's this huge spread of like pastas and breads and drinks. And we were all like looking at her and like looking at the food and she didn't really speak English. And we just kind of looked at it and we're like, for us? And she's like, yes, for you. And we're like, okay. So we all sat down and just started eating. And, you know, we crushed all this food and we went back out and, and you know, we said thank you. And, and we walked back out and we're kind of hanging out by the chairs and just, just chilling. Like we didn't really have a plan. We were just kind of hanging out of the beach. And so right around dark, like everybody kind of like exited the beach and, and the place kind of closed down and everyone left. And we were just kind of sitting around waiting for Marco to show back up and he never did. So they actually um, opened the restaurant bar back up for us. And we started this like dance party. There was music playing and, and the restaurant was had a bunch of food and there was a bunch of people that were friends of the people that ran it. So there's a bunch of these weird Italian people and we were playing like foosball and ping pong and frisbee. And it was awesome. It was like this after hours, really cool paradise. And about three in the morning, finally this thing kind of came to a, a halt and uh, everyone just kind of like got tired. And so we actually went and climbed into our van and went to sleep. And some of the people worked there, um, had these like yurt kind of houses that they were staying in next to the restaurant. They were like on the beach and um, a few of the friends they had coming to hang out, just kind of slept in their cars. And the next morning we woke up in our steaming hot van and you know, you got six dudes sleeping in a van getting beat on by the sun. Like it was, it's pretty ripe in there. And so we all get up and go running out and jump back into the sea again. And we're hanging out in the water again. So for, we're probably there for a couple of hours and we hear Americans food like again. So we walk up there and this huge spread of, of breads and jellies and jams. And the girl's name that ran this place was named Sylvia and her best friend was also named Sylvia. And apparently 
they were great friends with Marco, but we didn't know that. So what he had told them was, hey, I'm dropping these guys off. I'll be back in two days. Please take care of my friends. And so we were kind of in the dark on this. And so once again, we hung out there all day and at night, everybody left and they closed it down and they opened everything back up. And it was just like a whole after hours party again. That night we ate lots of weird ice creams and listened to like obscure punk bands that were like mixed with techno. And uh, it was crazy, man. And so around 3 a.m., everything kind of shuts down again. Everyone goes in their cars and their yurts. We jump in our van and we go to sleep. The next morning we wake up, Marco's there and rolls up in his little Italian car. And he's like, Hey, are you ready to go? And we're <laughs> so we're just, yeah, we, we think we jumped in the water one more time and hung out. And then we decided to, uh, to dip and go, go play a show. So pretty crazy. Like how, you know, I've probably told this story a handful of times, like on tour and, and it's just bizarre that we just got left there at the time. Like, you know, I think we had a phone number, but, um, you know, it was, wasn't really a, an easy thing to do always to call people in, uh, in foreign countries with weird calling cards and stuff. So there was no like internet, there was no text, I mean, there was internet, but it wasn't like a, you know, not like I can go and get online and, and see someone. It was like a, more of a, have to send them an email and hope that they, hope that they answer it. So we rolled to the show. Marco took us to the show and, and we, uh, this show was actually really funny because we got there and you know, it was one of those shows that like we were playing and no one really cared that we were there. No one really cared we were playing and no one really paid attention. And, uh, you know, the entire tour we were using backline equipment, which basically means that we brought essential. So for me, like I brought cymbals, snare, pedal, sticks, and then usually there would be some like house drums that they had lying around and we would just have to play those. And so the guitar players just brought their heads and their guitars and they have a power converter which changes everything over to, to Euro power. So everything runs on 220. So these weird converters we plug our stuff into and then plug it into the wall. And so it worked, they worked most of the time. So uh, Andy actually had to play out of this little combo amp that was so small that when we were playing, we actually started having a conversation just like in the middle of a song, just because we could. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, this amp's really small. And we're just kind of talking as we're playing these songs. And again, no one was there caring. So we were just kind of doing our own thing. But the rest of the tour was fine. We were all pretty strapped for cash toward the end. Uh, you know, I, th- I think touring is tough in general. But when you have four or five dudes, you're in a tight space. People get cranky. You're in Europe. You're eating weird food. You're the only ones that you can talk to because most of the time you're the only ones that speak English and you're stuck with each other all the time. So it's, it gets tough to navigate. I mean, it's like being in, you know, five or six different relationships and you're all like sitting in the same space together, you know, 24 hours a day. So. You know, the goal really sometimes is to just hold it together. Like people get hot, they get hungry, you know, people are yelling when other people are tired, people are playing the radio when someone's trying to sleep, like it just gets tough, right? So if you can hold it together, then you're doing okay, right? So the van, the bus, whatever is basically like an emotional pressure cooker and you have to try to be empathetic and understanding and just just keep calm and try not to blow up like in every situation because everyone has an opinion, something affects someone else and it's just, it just happens. So that pressure cooker scenario, it's all about just trying to keep calm. <laughs> it's like, it's like diffusing a bomb all the time. So, you know, with a bunch of dudes, they're in their twenties. It's definitely a challenge, right? You know, lots of bands actually break up in Europe. It happens 
over and over again. So I bet you probably 20 or 30 of my friends that have been in bands that have toured Europe, I would say 80% of them have broken up in Europe or at least had some sort of, you know, band changing altercation while in Europe. Um, people sometimes just don't want to, don't want to do it. Don't want to be there. Don't want to tour anymore. I think there are so many variables that you're navigating over there and you're definitely trapped because you're over an ocean. There's not like a, you know what, forget this. I'm going to go home and you jump in a car and go home or you, you know, to have a short flight. Like it's a whole scenario to then navigate from country to country to get yourself home. And it's just people, I think people just get homesick, homesick. And if you're broke and you're homesick and you're broke when you're hungry and you're homesick or you're tired, whatever it is, like it's, it's tough. So, you know, it happens to bands all the time. Um, I think people just get sick of each other. They butt heads. Things just happen. You know, Earth Mover was actually no exception to that. So we went over and basically called it quits before we even got on the plane to come back home. You know, with like so many variables you're trying to navigate, it's much harder to stay in and keep it going. Like it's so much easier to be like, okay, like this, it's a, it's a lot of work. So, you know, it's a weird balance, I think, of, you know, people are like working crappy jobs so you can go on tour to play shows. But when you play shows and you come back home and you're broke, you're like, what is it all for? I mean, these questions come up over and over and over again. And especially when you're in a band trying to grind it out on the road, like tensions just get high, man. And people, people crack and they get stressed and it creates pressure. And, you know, band gets defunct real quick. So we came home from Europe and we played our last show in Detroit like a few months later after the tour. And it was amazing. Like it was an amazing show. So many friends came from all over the place to be at the show. And it, it's still memorable for me. Like I still remember being up there and just seeing so many familiar faces. We actually crammed like a thousand people into this place that probably holds 400. And it was hot and sweaty and slippery. It was awesome. It was, it's, it's might sound not awesome, but you know, it's all about, it's all about the love and people supporting and just being there and being part of it and being part of something. It was awesome. I can't even explain it. Like it was just, it's just a great, it's just a great memory. So, so as always, let's jump into the, what did I learn from this scenario and what did you maybe take away from it? If you do have questions, shoot me a question, hustlethemost.com. I'm always answering people's questions. You can also hit me up on Instagram, DM Wessex Keeley. You'll find me on there. So I think the first thing that I learned is that you have to be open to new things and new experiences. I mean, I've said that a handful of times in other podcasts. I think we spend a lot of time being safe and sticking with completely what's in our comfort zone. Sometimes you have to just say yes and don't think about it. Like once you start thinking about it, you start selling yourself on reasons why you shouldn't do it. And I think I said this before, it's like trying new foods. Like the first question you should ask yourself is question one, am I going to die? And hopefully the answer is no. And then you can just get to getting, right? Get it, get it done. Try it. It's only going to be gross for a minute, probably, right? So just, just try it. Just, just jump in and try it, whatever it is. So I think this is the band where I really learned the ins and outs of touring and traveling. And I definitely relate this to me traveling outside of the band. It seems like common sense and you'd be surprised, but you need these little systems and routines for things like keeping yourself occupied or, you know, keeping your headphones close or keeping food in your bag so you don't get hangry or keeping a good book handy at all times. Like there are so many little things that can keep you sane and keep you together 
I think you have to know how and when to retreat like into yourself and then when to come back when it's time to play. So think about that. Like when you're traveling, think about times when you've gotten frustrated and why you got frustrated, what would have been a good tool for you to actually be able to come back to yourself and just lose yourself inside yourself for just a few minutes, an hour, whatever it is to center yourself and then kind of come back out into the world, right? Sometimes we need that little timeout, little mental break just to like keep the sanity. So, you know, you have to take care of yourself and your mental and physical state are super important and you have to watch them and monitor them at all times. Like it's super important. So I think what I really learned is that navigating a band is really no different than navigating a group of coworkers or team members. You know, there are always going to be people that you gel with more than others. People you have more in common with, people that you laugh with. Um, you know, there's always going to be people in your group that are louder than everyone else, people that are more demanding, whatever it is. Like it takes all kinds of people to make the machine work. You know, I think sometimes even in our careers, like we get thrown into these emotional pressure cookers, but I think the goal is the same. Like you have to try to be empathetic. You have to be understanding. You have to be open and you have to just try and stay calm and not blow up. That's the goal. Okay. That was a lot of words and a little bit of time. I'm going to wrap it up. As always, thank you for checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This was episode 16. Check out more stories, photos, connect with me at hustlethemost.com. If you're listening to this on iTunes, give us a like, give us a share. If you're feeling super inspired and super generous and love it, write a review, let us know what you think, and uh, we'll see you on the next one.